Welcome back to Awakening Reformation, where Reformation awakens now. My name is Grant, and joined with me, as always, is my beautiful wife, Erica, the Weaker Vessel. Hello, everyone. If you want to get to know more about us, you guys go to rebelliancemedia.com. You'll find out about all the other podcasts that are in our network, as well as see some of the other content we have. And we have a YouTube channel, so go subscribe to the channel. Hit the little bell so you get notifications. Nate is releasing the Eschatology 201 series right now. I think it's about an episode a week. Really good stuff. Mm -hmm. I just listened to the new episode this morning, and I loved it. So go to the YouTube channel. If you'd like to financially support what we do, go to patreon.com slash rebel alliance. And there you can financially support us, which we would greatly appreciate. Yeah, there's some cool things in the works. Eschatology 201 is kind of the first fruits of your generosity. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that is our big thank you to you guys. That was our first goal. So uh, next year, there's some bigger goals. That we have, and... There's rumor of a conference. Yes, there is rumors. Good thing we don't listen to rumors, huh? (laughs) That's right. Those are all false. Maybe. And... And so next week, another fun thing that we're doing, which has nothing to do with Patreon, but it's just a fun thing that we're doing that we're excited about. Yeah, we just like fun things, so... Something to keep, you know, keep things fresh. We want to keep you guys on your toes. We're going to do a host swap. Yeah, so... We got Nate coming on this podcast, we're going on Rebel Podcast, and Poots is coming on this podcast, and we're just... We're switching it all up. Yep. So, there are four hosts, and at some point, every single one of us will have done an episode with all of the other hosts. (laughs) That's right. And it's going to be really fun. We're going to talk culture, Rebel News, hot theological topics at the moment, Mm -hmm. and I think you guys will enjoy it, so don't miss it. Come back next week for the first few episodes of the crossover host swap event. It'll be the kickoff. Today, though, we're going to take a break from our Uncovering the Origins series, and we are wanting to talk about something that we've seen a lot in our church family and on our social media accounts Mm -hmm. and our friendships. There just seems to be a lot of Old Testament ignorance, I guess you could say. And we're trying to say that as nice as possible right and we're gonna we're gonna get into it but we're actually gonna kind of come down hard in the church a little bit right but just the dispensational roots i guess you could say or the effects of the dispensationalism in the american church how it has actually affected our politics Mm -hmm. and our social trends right so what we've seen in all these places that eric is talking about is when these social hot-button issues come up, it seems like the church is just floundering and flapping in the air and doesn't Mm -hmm. know which way to go. And Christ is for all of life and that his scripture, all of it, Genesis Mm -hmm. to Revelation, applies to all of life. Uh, Scripture talks to a lot of these issues. And so sometimes we're left wondering why the church is so flabbergasted or why the church is so confused on some of these topics. And one of the major contributing factors is dispensationalism. And we've talked about that a lot. Andrew Emery has a good uh, ebook that was compiled of his blog posts on the history and nature of dispensationalism. Mm -hmm. So go to rebelliancemedia.com in our store and go get that. 
And that will help you understand dispensationalism if for some reason you're not too familiar with that because I realize some people may not be. Right. And we thought about doing an uncovering the origins on dispensationalism, but we thought like that's already been done really well by other members of Rebel Alliance Media. We don't need to like rehash through that again. So if you don't know what we're talking about, like Grant said, go check back and you'll be able to find some good resources. But for the sake of those who just don't have time or whatever... Just give a brief synopsis of dispensationalism. It is a lens by which you look at scripture, and that particular lens says that God acts and functions in human history differently Mm -hmm. in different chunks of time. And so the beginning of time with Adam was different, during the time of Noah was a little different, and then Moses was a little different, Um, or there's Abraham in there too, but Moses and David and then Jesus... Now we are in the church age and everything prior to Jesus was different. And so we don't look to that for day-to-day guidance. We only look to the New Testament. So it's a framework that as a Christian, we would interpret the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right. Dispensational theology would say God no longer deals with people like he did in the Old Testament. Right. In the New Testament, he's changed things up. He's done a better job at relating to his people. And so we yeah. we don't need the Old Testament anymore. In the words of Andy Stanley, we can unhitch it. Right, because to most dispensationalists, why would you? That was inferior. Mm-hmm. Now things are so much better. And they also have a view of the future, which is very, it's very novel because <laughs> it's a very new thing and it's very, very different than what church history has for the most part, understood the future to hold. Well, yeah, and dispensationalism is a very new concept. It's only a little over 100 years old, really. Yeah. And um, so we would just reject dispensationalism altogether, and we would say a covenantal approach at Mm -hmm. interpreting Scripture is biblical and right, historic, in that God deals with people through covenants. Mm -hmm. We see this all throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, God has a covenant people, and he relates to his covenant people throughout history. Right. And as the covenants unfold, it's like the lens was just widening. Mm-hmm. It it wasn't a whole new picture. Yeah. And so that's the very big difference. Yeah. It's like reading a book, like any other book. Yeah. Every additional chapter just gives you more information and gives you a better understanding. Yeah. Builds upon the previous chapter. Yeah. Of, of what is happening in the story that's being unfolded for us. And so the Bible is no different. And it's, I would actually argue that we write stories that way because God writes his story that way. Like it's programmed into us because we are image bearers of God. Yeah. Like, all of the literature that we write reflects the image of God and how he communicates and relates to us. So that's a sidebar. Yeah, that's a really good point, though. But what we're saying is because, by and large, Americans hold to dispensational ideology, it's hard to escape this idea that the Old Testament, like you said, is inferior, this idea that we don't need to understand the Old Testament, that we've evolved past the primitive ways of the Old Testament. Yeah. We are so much more enlightened now. Right. It's insane. But yeah. because of that belief system being imposed on our culture, even mm-hmm. in Christian culture, what we're saying is it has led to such an ignorance of biblical law and order and mm-hmm. justice and what God really does intend for his people. And so because dispensationalism is the 
predominant belief of American Christians, that is what ends up walking into the polling booth. They don't have that understanding of God's law and order and the wisdom that's in God's law. They don't have that, and so it doesn't reflect in the way that they vote. And that's why we see a lot of these social issues that we're going to talk about prevailing Mm -hmm. because Christians are not voting biblically. They're not voting in a way that reflects godly character or godly principles. Yeah, well, and this can even go back to the whole Tabidi Anabwile fiasco of Mm -hmm. the last election where he was advocating people to vote for Hillary Clinton. Yeah who is a wicked, wicked woman. I don't understand. I mean, you can talk Republican, Democrat, independent, whatever, libertarian. But like, I really hope that no Christians are looking at Hillary Clinton and saying she is the beacon of the Proverbs 31 example. Like, that certainly is not a godly woman in any way. But because Christians have somehow compartmentalized their faith with political ideologies, like those two things, near Mm -hmm. the two shall meet, I don't understand where that came from, necessarily. Yeah. Well, and that's, again, the danger of two-kingdom theology Yeah, that the Reformed world talks about a lot. So perhaps we should talk about two-kingdom theology, too, because dispensationalism and two-kingdom theology do kind of, they are kind of married at some level, right? Yeah, and they wouldn't want to. No, certainly you not. You know, because one of the biggest proponents of two-kingdom theology, Michael Horton, mm-hmm. who is thoroughly Reformed in every other way, would never call himself a dispensationalist. And he's very covenantal. He wrote a book on it. Yeah. Covenant theology. But two kingdom theology basically says that Christ is king of the church and rules the church and is ruling in heaven and he rules his people, which to them only means the the people who are a part of the church. But as far as the Are you talking invisible church or just visible church? Visible church. Okay. I mean it would be both. I was just wondering where yeah. he came down on that. And the the nations don't necessarily have to bow the knee to King Jesus because that's not his realm. Yet, when he comes back, he will make the whole world his realm. So right now, Two Kingdom Theology says right now, Jesus only owns heaven. He doesn't own earth. Right. Or the only thing on earth he owns is the church. the Christians? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's wrong. Just so you know. Super wrong. Go listen to Eschatology 201. You don't. That's right. You don't... uh, you know, the Queen of England does not rule over me. So mm-hmm. I there's nothing, there's no one from Parliament over there. Anyone could say, hey, you are being a disobedient subject. You need to bow the knee to the Queen. And I would say, I'm American. Mm-hmm. You don't make any sense. And so it doesn't make any sense to be calling people to repentance if they're not, dis- if they're not part of that kingdom. Mm-hmm. So that, that's where that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and that could be a whole other topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. All, all together. But, but I do think that those two things are somewhat linked mm-hmm. because dispensational thought would say that we don't need the Old Testament anymore. And then the two kingdom thing says that maybe the Old Testament is helpful, but it's powerless, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. Like Jesus doesn't own it anyway, so we can't really do anything with it until he yeah. comes back and then takes over as king. Yeah. And so where we're coming from, which is a covenantal post-millennial standpoint, right. is saying actually the Old Testament really does matter because it's revelation from God. Right. It reveals his character, who he is, mm-hmm. his law, what is just, good, and right, what Christians ought to do in their home, in the church, in society. Right. And that actually Jesus is ruling and reigning right now. Whole world. 
the whole world belongs to him Mm -hmm. and he's actually already defeated his enemies. He's given us the charge to go get back what was lost. Right. So what areas are we going to talk about? Well, all of it, right? If Jesus is king over everything, Mm -hmm. then that means Christians should have something to say about everything. Yep. So there should be no political policy no social realm where Mm -hmm. Christians aren't speaking the wisdom of God's law into. There you go. So with that, let's take a quick break, though. And when we come back, we will hit on all of these different social trends or theological positions and see how Mm -hmm. the Old Testament can and does speak to them. Righto, Captain. So enjoy this magnificent commercial and we will be right back. Hey guys, this is Brian. And this is Jesse. And we run Reconciled Media. We create reformed, presuppositional, and postmillennial content. Check out Reconciled Radio, where we've interviewed guests like Joel McDermott and Darren Doan, and the Alpina Antithesis, where we engage the issues and events around our community from a full orb, faith for all of life, Christian worldview. Both shows can be found on Apple Podcasts at Reconciled Media. Go to Facebook.com slash Reconciled Media to stay up to date with our latest content, memes of the week, and our Reconciled recommendations. Thanks, and go cultivate a kingdom culture. Talking about how well we know our Old Testament and how it helps with a lot of things. So you and I are both going through... Well, actually, I don't know what you're going through right now. Maybe we could talk about that, but... Yeah, that might be more of a heart-to-heart later, okay? (laughs) Yeah. No, just kidding. Well, I'm going through the Old Testament right now. Yeah. And I'm in 1 Samuel. No, I'm in 1 Kings. We're talking... Yeah, Yeah, I'm in... The kids are reading 1 Samuel. Yeah, sorry. This is getting There's so many different readings. In church, we're going through 1 Samuel. Yeah. The kids are going through 1 Samuel, and I'm going through 1 Kings. I'm reading Revelation, by the way. So you're not in the Old Testament. No. But um, it's really interesting as you rehash through some of this, like, Old Testament narrative, Mm -hmm. some of these historical uh, happenings and stuff. You forget so much of, yeah. like, the richness that is in, involved in all these stories. But we had a Sunday school class just this last Sunday mm-hmm. where we, I don't even know how we talked got talking. about a lot of things. I don't even know how we got talking about it. But we started talking about racism mm-hmm. in the American South yeah, and how uh, that is actually different from the type of slavery that is a biblical form of slavery is different than American Southern slavery. Right. And it was really interesting how there were several people who were, I guess you could say, not understanding the difference between the two. The two what? The two different types of slavery? Yeah, how the Bible could almost encourage slavery in certain cases. At least just condone it. Or... Well, for like paying off a debt. Yeah. Things like that. You know, right. there there were forms of slavery that were actually a better form of like paying someone back mm-hmm. than just being thrown into jail. Yeah. And sounded 
a lot more like employment than yeah, anything. Yeah, just working for paying someone off. But then, so um, our pastor very skillfully, you know, handled that situation, and he yeah. kind of tried to explain to our fellow members of the church you know there actually is a difference Mm -hmm. and he kind of weeded through the waters a little bit and he did a good job we've also seen some debate going on about like gun control women's rights the death sentence that's always a big one what should a christian's response be then when someone questions them and says hey doesn't the bible condone slavery or what does the Bible say about gun control? Does it say anything about gun control? Does mm-hmm. it say anything about the death sentence? Does it say anything about animal cruelty? I mean, all over Brooklyn here, there's like PETA signs that says, yeah. I am I am a person, not meat. Or like some crazy thing like that. Yeah. So society is giving us a message. Society is telling us, imposing morality upon us. Yeah, their law, a secular their morality. Yeah, a secular yeah. law. And then the Christians will say, we're not under God's law. We don't have to follow law. We're free in Christ. Yeah. But. Which leaves you what with does that just mean? no answer. Yeah. Or like not knowing what to do. So like you said earlier, we're just kind of like flopping about like a fish out of water, not knowing yeah. what to do. Yeah. Turns out like a fish actually needs water to flourish. Turns out Christians actually need God's law to flourish. Yeah. So we we haven't helped the church at all with this. So we need. This is where judgment needs to happen first, right? In the house of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Pastors, church leaders, we need to be preaching the Old Testament. We mm-hmm. need to be digging up sermons from John Calvin and from all these other uh, greats who have preached through books of the Old Testament to help us, right? Mm-hmm. And read commentaries from people who are not dispensational, people who are covenantal, that understand right. God's unfolding revelation. Can I say something? Yeah. I think a lot of people will say, oh, I I will look at commentaries on certain books of the Bible mm-hmm. and their reform commentaries, but they're still not covenantal. And I still think there's a difference. Like Wayne Grudem's systematics is going to look a whole lot different than like someone who's reformed, like true. truly reformed. That's I know that's going to sound super snotty, but yeah. it, it just is. It's different. And being soft yeah. on a lot of issues hasn't helped the church. Look no. at us. Yeah. We are losing like every single one of these cultural battles yeah. because we don't know where to stand. We don't know that we have a platform to stand on because we've been told for almost 200 years, the Old Testament's kind of done. Like it's worthless. And there's no covenant powerless. theology. Yeah. There's no, there's nothing beckoning the Christian. Like yeah. the, there's nothing that the Christian's working towards. You right. know, we're just kind yeah. of like at a weird stalemate. Yeah. That's the two kingdom theology thing. Like we're not working for anything mm-hmm. and we're not under any law yeah. and we're just kind of like existing. Yeah. Let's uh, let's do church really, really well. Let's get our theology as you know straight as we can. Let's pick apart theology. And this is what you see from some of the two kingdom theology reform people mm-hmm. is they stay inside their doors predominantly. And they pick apart each other's theology and try to just do that, love each other really, really well. But then when it comes to the Planned Parenthood in their city or, you know, talking to their city council or voting. We're powerless or to do anything. All that kind of stuff, the regular societal stuff. Yeah, we're powerless. There's no verse to back up action because mm-hmm. you've ditched all those. Mm-hmm. And this is where we're saying the two kingdom theology and the dispensational theology are kind of married because the two kingdom yeah. theology says that we're powerless to actually enact any kind of change. 
Right. Jesus hasn't actually given us all authority yeah. to like go and make change. We're not actually supposed to be building a kingdom. That's for later. So for now, you just stand there stagnant. Yeah. And then the dispensational would say, we don't have any law telling us how to act. We can do whatever we want to do. So long as it's loving our neighbor and we're serving God, we can do whatever we want. Whatever love means. Right. But then they have nothing to define what loving God looks like, Mm -hmm. what loving their neighbor looks like, because we've rejected all of the Old Testament that would explain to us in detail what that means. So they both both of those ideas are just kind of like producing the same type of person. Yeah, like a weird stagnant existence, like just exist. Don't build anything. Mm -hmm. Don't do anything. It's just (laughs) just be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about some of these. Let's do it. Hot button topics and cultural trends. That is what we like to do. So Yeah, sometimes. These are always fun. Okay, so the big one right now is gun control. All right. So everybody knows gun control is the you know, the liberal left wants to either take all your guns or at least only let you have like one kind of gun. Mm-hmm. And this is the debate that happens and then on the right, the right wants us to uphold the second amendment of our US Constitution. Mm-hmm. Which says you have the right to bear arms. Right. And the main purpose of that back in 1789, when that was actually ratified, was so that the people would have a means to revolt. Against their government. Against the government Mm -hmm. coming after them. So this is where anyone who's not American is just going to roll their eyes and be like, oh, those crazy Americans and their love for weapons. Like Pretty much. This is such an American thing, I think. But there's a reason why our forefathers were godly Christian, not all of them, but a lot of them are godly Christian men fought for this law in particular. And it wasn't just because they really loved their black powder guns. It was because they knew the Old Testament. Yes. And they were fleeing from a, a type of government that was infringing upon their religious liberties. So they were fleeing from that type of oppression into this new free land where they were able to worship God and they looked at that oppression of old and thought, we don't want to go back there. So how can we make sure we don't go back to that type of oppression? And then they looked to God's law for wisdom and then they made their own law based on God's law, based on God's revealed revelation in scripture. So gun control is actually very Philistine-ish. So during the time of King Saul... And you will find this in 1 Samuel 13. You will see the first example of gun control back in 1 Samuel. Well, it wasn't really gun control. Right. But it was... No guns. But the principle is here. Uh, in 1 Samuel 13, verse 19, it says this. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, or his sickle. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares and for the mattocks, and the third of a shekel for sharpening the axes and for setting the goads. So on the day of the battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan, but Saul and Jonathan his son had them. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. So we find in this passage that the Philistines were pretty smart. 
they realize we're oppressing this people, the Israelites. We've enslaved them. It's working out pretty well. They're growing crops and giving it to us. But they're kind of a feisty bunch and don't like being slaves. How are we going to ensure that they don't revolt? Oh, let's forbid the trade blacksmith in their land. Let's make sure that they don't have anywhere to go to make a sword. And so they allow them to make farming tools, which are not very useful on the battlefield. Well, it's the equivalent to saying you can own a shotgun, but the government can have high-powered semi-automatic rifles. Mm -hmm. And then say the American people want to rise up against a oppressive government, who's going to win? Yeah. I mean, even as it is right now, the government has, like our air defense systems, there's GPS guided missiles. Yeah. From small ones that are like, uh, a, you know, a small mortar all the way up to huge ones that can blow up a whole building. We're already so outgunned by the government. I cannot even believe that people are like, do you really need the AK? And I'm like, that is a pea shooter compared to what our government has already. We're so right. far outgunned. Right. Now, we have numbers. In America, there's probably a lot more people. Well, and let's be honest, the military, you know, men and women themselves would probably right. rise up against the government. Yeah, they'd probably die before. We can get into some conspiracy yeah. <laughs> theories about that kind of stuff as well. But this is not the time. Yeah. The no, but what the point I'm making is what our government is doing when it comes to gun control by saying... No, you know, no 30 round mags. Do you really need it? I mean, like, it doesn't matter if I need it. The, the thing is, is that I should just have the freedom to have it. What you're doing is right. you're disarming me, but you're not disarming yourself. Do you need it? What do you need it for? Right. And uh, there's even issues with having such a large standing army, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of the, a lot of our forefathers did not want a standing army. Mm -hmm. They saw that as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But all of the gun control laws, we can see that... He says this as he's sitting in his army uniform. I know, I know, I, <laughs> I know. It's you know, it's a debate. It's a debate people have. It's a debate. <laughs> and, um, but the, you know, I think Christians just need to outright reject all of these dumb little laws against butt stocks and how big the clip is in your gun mm -hmm. and on and on we go. Because if you truly look at it, we're already so far outgunned mm -hmm. and it is, it's not about need. Right. It's about your freedoms as a person. And then when someone says, well, you don't need that because look at all of the harm that owning these weapons has potential for. When you when someone says that, you like look at the mass shootings mm -hmm. and look at the kids who are getting into their parents' gun cabinets and shooting their head off or all these, you know, what if, what if, what if, mm -hmm. here's this isolated incident. What the Christian ought to say is, let me take you to scripture and show you where this was a really bad thing, where this actually was judgment upon God's people. They were handed over to the Philistines who lorded over God's yeah. people. And one of the judgments that was uh, enacted on Israel was that their weapons were taken from them. Right. They had no means to defend themselves exactly. against their enemies. So when someone is coming in to your home and wants to, uh, what was what did Beto say? He was going to, it was a mandatory buyback. Yeah, mandatory. I think buyback. it was Beto who said that mandatory I will buyback. Force you to sell your gun to me. <laughs> yeah, that's just called confiscation. Yeah. Um, but when those kind of things happen, first of all, we should say, "Hey, 
are we under some type of judgment from God? Is there something going on where God's handed us over to our enemies and is now disarming us? Yeah. And then the second thing should be, well, let's repent if there is something. Right. And then lastly, let's not just hand over our weapons. Mm -hmm. Like we don't want to be under judgment. Repent, turn away from your sin and then defend yourself from your oppressors. This is like what some of the, the best movie scary scenes are made of, right? Of the government coming in, like ransacking your home and just taking all your weapons. And they have, you know, assault rifles and all that kind of thing. We've seen that in several mm-hmm. movies. And we're like, oh, my gosh, that's so scary. That's so fascist, right? Mm-hmm. That's so like uh, Nazi Germany where they just totally pacify the the populace. Right. And that's like what half the Democratic candidates are preaching right now well and some republican ones or as maybe well. more yeah and like some Republi- republican the... senators and whatnot are yeah just anyway, as bad one <clears throat> one topic we gotta wake up and just like not even address it like yeah it's all dumb so that but on, not something on we... that same vein of being under god's judgment mm-hmm. we could hop right over to the abortion debate and say yeah. there are a lot of christians quote-unquote Christians, Mm -hmm. who will say that they are personally pro-life, but that they can't, in their conscience, tell another woman what she must do with her body. Actually, we're just listening to Cross Politic, and -hmm. they had a guy on there say pretty much the same thing. I think he was a, was he lieutenant colonel or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Alan West? Why not? Why not? Why do we think we can't do that? Because it's unloving. Christians should be loving and we should give liberty to other. Like, I've heard this many times. It's not very loving or Christian-like for you to tell someone what they must do with their body. But that's, this is the dispensational part. Like, all they know is that verse in the New Testament that says, love your neighbor, judge not. Right. But they have thrown out all of God's law, all of the narrative of the Old Testament where, once again, like the killing of your offspring or the infertility, the famine of your yeah. womb is actually a judgment of God. We only believe this, though, when it pertains to a sin we love. So we love sexual sin in our culture. And so because abortion is wrapped up into promiscuity, then we say, oh, yeah, yeah, I can't just force someone my morality. But what do you have to skip for every almost every YouTube video you watch and add? Someone telling you what you should do. Mm. Well, that's like essentially all of American advertising. Yeah. We're telling people what to do. You and need to with buy their body this. You need to buy this. Time. You need to use this product. Exactly. We tell people what to do with their body all the time. Wear this. But, buy this. Eat this. Go here. Do this. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to a sin that we love, then we don't do it. Then we get then we get super Christian mm. and say, let's judge not. And, well, we must love our enemies, right? And love our neighbor. So, so does, that's the problem. Does the Bible say anything about the shedding of blood of our youth, of our infant? Um, is there any verses that talk about like that being a judgment upon a nation? Well, the the idea of a lot of death happening is a is a judgment and psalm 110 talks about that it talks about that when god judges a nation he fills it with corpses Mm -hmm. and so a lot of the european nations whose birth rate is less than one you know like they're in like a generation or two they're realizing we're all going to be gone because it's a judgment they were all christian only a few hundred years ago and now they've Mm -hmm. gone completely secular and turned away from the church and so 
they're being judged for that. Right. I mean, they kind of go hand in hand. You walk into it and then God says, yeah, there you go. Your judgment is sin that you now love and have walked into. And, you know, you see in European countries, uh, massive paid for maternity leave and um, tax breaks, tax breaks and all kinds of incentives to for people to fulfill the cultural mandate now. It's like, actually, if you disobeyed God's word to be fruitful and multiply, you wouldn't be in this situation that you're in right now. But yeah, uh, a lot of death is a judgment. And sin brings death. And sin is a judgment because of our disobedience to God. Mm -hmm. I think, too, if American churches were to start walking through the narratives of the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. there are so many parallels. Like our pastor is always talking like America is under God's judgment right now. Right. And you can tell by looking at, like you said, how many children are being murdered every day in abortion how many um, weird policies we have, like how we are okay with murdering babies, but we can't declaw our cats because that's animal cruelty. Yeah. yeah. So somehow declawing a cat actually is humane than the tearing apart of infants in the womb. Like- well, and we care more about how a chicken is transported from one farm to another. Mm-hmm. And when that truck drives past you, you, you feel so sad for the chicken. But you can drive by Planned Parenthood every day and not think twice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're not going to go through every single one of these topics. In depth. In depth. But we would encourage you, like, just stop and think about some of these things. Another thing on this animal cruelty topic, Mm -hmm. where we live in particular, there are a lot of animal rights activists and... Yeah, the the great one down by Coney Island is uh, an ad and it's a pig face. Super cute fat pig you know yeah he says what does he say i am me not meat yeah yeah super clever yeah there's a whole bunch of them our kids like to be like "Mm, bacon (laughs) no they're like oh funny pig and it'll be bacon (laughs) (laughs) it's really kind of funny so that's kind of probably more regional for us but i'm sure we have listeners who yeah have animal rights pretty is pretty uh similar yeah so what does the bible say about animals like how should we treat animals is there any biblical principle about killing animals and eating animals how we should treat our pets how we should treat our livestock how we should treat Mm -hmm. because there's a difference between how you treat your dog and you're probably not going to kill your dog and make bacon out of them but you will if you're a pig farmer yeah or you know you raise cattle after the fall and it's even debated whether animals were supposed to be eaten before the fall or not. But again, we're not going in depth here. But we do see explicitly that after the fall and then after Noah uh, gets off the ark and God reestablishes the cultural mandate after the flood, mm-hmm. that animals were meant for food. Mm-hmm. And so, yes. When the Israelites received the law on Mount Sinai, God restricted them to certain animals and didn't allow them to eat other animals. Many people know this, right? Uh, Jewish people don't eat a lot of seafood and, you know, they don't eat shrimp. They don't eat crabs, the bottom feeders. And pork. then they don't eat pork, you know, only the cloven hoof and choose the cut. And there's all these different laws. Stipulations, yeah. And, yeah, stipulations for what they eat. But as far as treating animals, there's several proverbs that talk about the wisdom of treating your animals with kindness and not beating them or killing them or abusing them. One of the more well-known laws about how you treat an animal, because Paul reiterated it in the pastoral epistles, 
is that you should not muzzle the ox that treads out the grain. Mm -hmm. It's working for you. That's Deuteronomy 25.4. You got that? Okay, Mm -hmm. sweet. And the idea is that you don't abuse it. You don't overwork it. You do let it feed Mm -hmm. while you're working it. They would muzzle it because as the ox is treading out the grain, it would chomp on some of that grain as it's going. And so then they would muzzle it and say, "Uh uh-uh, that's not for you. Mm -hmm. And because they wanted every little bit of that grain... For their own purposes. Right, to make money off of it. That Mm -hmm. would have been grain that they could sell. Mm -hmm. And God said, you don't do that. Don't muzzle the ox. It's working for you. It's giving you a benefit. So take care of it. So treat it kindly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then Paul applies that to pastors. And so pastors get paid out of the tithes. Should. Should get paid out of the tithes and offerings of the church. Mm -hmm. It is meant for them because they're working for you. They're preparing and counseling and loving and pastoring a congregation and Mm -hmm. so the money that's given takes care of them so they don't shrivel up and die or (laughs) their family is hurting or their family shrivels up and dies you know and so those are a couple of ways that we look at you know the animal cruelty stuff you and i throughout the years have always pointed to those verses and and said well yeah you're supposed to treat them like kindly (laughs) right like you shouldn't be having a a dog fighting ring in your backyard like that's not being or be your animal a lot of people beat their animals yeah or don't feed them or care for them properly right um this is is part of this is part of where god told adam and eve to steward and to take care and cultivate that means you take care to make better yeah so if you're harming your animal you're being wicked yeah straight up but there's a difference in killing an animal and eating, which is actually instructed from God to people in the Bible several times over. Yeah. Kill and and eat. Yeah. And there's humane ways to kill and eat and inhumane ways to kill and eat. Yeah, exactly. So this is... Again, all of Christ for all of life. God's word applies to everything. Right. Yes. There isn't a, a place in scripture that doesn't pertain to us. Even, even the obscure sort of odd verses... Matter are, a lot. are there yeah. for us for a purpose and it's a task that god's given to his people to yeah. to mine the depths and yeah. riches of his word and who would have thunk that knowing deuteronomy 25 would help you engage a payphone ad in coney island new york city you yeah. know what i mean yeah but there it is god's word engaging culture and and all of its yeah areas yeah So that's another, I guess, hot button topic in our area, at least, animal rights. You get into animal cruelty, animal rights. Mm -hmm. There are debates on the death sentence that you should get a death sentence for murder, first degree murder. Yeah. You and I both enjoy some true crime, especially true crime documentaries or podcasts. And it's funny because most of the shows or podcasts we listen to are hosted by non-Christians. One of the ones I love probably the most is True Crime Garage, mm-hmm. and I've listened to all of their episodes so far, and I think they've been doing it for like four or five years now, but in mm-hmm. the very beginning episodes, you hear one of the hosts talk about how he is pro-death sentence, mm-hmm. and then as the show gets on, you can tell he probably has gotten some pressure from some <laughs> um, probably advocates of you know rehabilitation type of punishment. Yeah. And so he kind of like wavers a little bit, but in the more recent episodes, he's kind of come full circle and has kind of come back to, from what I can understand or tell, 
a conviction that actually the death sentence does make sense. Hmm. And I think one of the reasons why is that like maybe at first, if you have an ounce of compassion in you or something, you're like, well, I don't want someone to die. That sounds really mean. And, and if we kill the murderer, then we're no better than the murderer. Yeah. But then as you start to see this rehabilitation type of (laughs) type of uh, system not working and actually leading to more murders, criminals are released from prison and most of them go out and are repeat offenders you kind of start to see that this isn't really how it's how god has created justice to work god was wise in the punishments that he chose for certain crimes one mm-hmm. of them being the death penalty for murder mm-hmm. and then there's a slew of other things that the death penalty was the punishment for right our problem too is that we even arrest people and go to go to court with circumstantial evidence and we get frustrated all the time with this mm-hmm. when we're watching true crime um, or listening to the podcast is people being arrested and going to court. The DA approves that this goes to court and it's only circumstantial. We're like, mm-hmm. there's not two or three witnesses now. Right. And, and it sure does seem like the person's guilty, but regardless, yeah, there's not any evidence of that. So, and you can tell from the stories that the jurors uh, tell on these documentaries that when it's a circumstantial case, they are so conflicted, even mm-hmm. though you're like that. They're like, gosh, it's sir, it sure seems like this guy's guilty. I mean, who else would it be? Mm-hmm. But we have no evidence. Right. But when there's evidence, when the dude's fingerprints there, hair, you know, follicles, DNA, yeah. um, eyewitness, video camera witness, all this stuff. Cell phone tower pings. Yeah. And you got all these lines of evidence that meet a biblical standard. Mm-hmm. And that person is convicted and put away. You're like, oh, shouldn't have done it. But then... Like, we actually feel like we have closure. You know what I mean? And, like, right. our conscience is good, even when it is death penalty. Even if they don't get the death penalty. They right. get 20 years or whatever. And there's an issue with that. Because once he gets out... What's going to happen? The family who's who lost their daughter are like, well, great. Now we don't really feel like justice has been had. Because our daughter's gone and this person's still here. Right. But, but when they're convicted on biblical grounds two or three witnesses or more Mm -hmm. um no one really is bummed out about that or questioning right we're like oh yeah it's what we're saying is in the old testament god has laid out very explicitly in painstaking detail what the penalty should be for certain crimes there are um, penalties for rape when a girl cries out and asks for help there's a penalty for if a girl is raped and then doesn't do anything about it. There is a penalty for murder. There's a penalty for manslaughter and so on and so forth. And for each situation, God has a different judgment or a different sentence upon the perpetrator of the crime. Yeah. So in certain cases, the death penalty the death sentence is right and just and biblical, and in certain cases it's not. We would say for an accident, if you accidentally hit a pedestrian in your car and they died, mm-hmm. but they were wearing black, it was dark outside, right. you just didn't see them, even though you weren't intoxicated, you were paying attention, it was just an accident. God would say, your life is not required of you. Right. But if you are flying off in a fit of rage and you murder your spouse because of some, in, you know, discre- indiscretion that they committed against you, mm-hmm. 
that's murder. And God says, because you took a life, life, your life is required of you. Exactly. So Deuteronomy nineteen fifteen says, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Mm -hmm. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. And so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Mm. And so there are a lot of accusations that happen based on one witness in our day. And they just, they shouldn't become what's on the news every hour. We yeah. shouldn't establish that kind of a charge with that much attention. We should say, well, we're going to need more evidence. It's um, it's unsubstantiated. Right. And then if it is a false witness that we end up finding out later on, mm -hmm. then whatever punishment they were trying to get uh, stuck on that person needs to be put on them. Right. That would be biblical. Right. So um, as far as justice system is concerned and death there's penalty. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. Yeah, but there's the a lot of justice system. Yeah, there's a lot of wisdom. In, in God's law there. And, and I, I totally agree that it's a principled law. And like the Westminster Confession says that we like, is that we apply today the general equity mm -hmm. thereof. It's not a full scale, one for one, word for word. That was, I mean, they were an agricultural society, obviously living in the land of Israel, without technology, much different time. But God is wise mm -hmm. and his principles can be applied to today. And the one thing you will not find in the law is a prison system. Right. It's just not there. Jail is different. There's a, you know, a holding to await trial or something like that, which is typically what a jail is for. But a prison sentence, prison system of spending 10, 20, 30, you won't find that. Because the God, according to God's law, he was not so much worried about the perpetrator of the crime as he was the offended in yeah. the crime. Yeah, exactly. He didn't care if the perpetrator, who was the one committing the crime, was taken care of and rehabilitated. He cared whether or not the victim of the crime was taken care of. Was taken care of exactly. And if justice was done there. Yeah. So the American rehabilitation type of criminal system is just unbiblical altogether. Mm -hmm. It's wrongheaded. It is. It's very wrongheaded. So what? Uh, um. So there next? are there are so many more that we could talk about. There's women's rights. There's the right to own private property. Mm -hmm. Environmentalism. There is public education. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Yeah. All of these things, scripture speaks to. Yeah. And we would love to talk about. I feel like we are going so brief on each one of these topics yeah, as it is. But before we close out, we've kind of talked more about political things. Okay. I guess I, animal cruelty is kind of more social. Yeah, well, social trends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but know. one thing in particular that you and I have talked a lot about that we see is super trendy and becoming even more trendy, this is a very European thing, mm -hmm. is like minimalism, postmodern design, oh, yeah. modern design, very sleek, like, that's... And you can see this in... um 
or is it Marie Kondo or whatever her name is? I think you're right, yeah. I would not have been able to tell you that name, but that sounds familiar. So I've only read a little bits and pieces from her. I'm by far not an expert on her philosophies of minimalism. Mm-hmm. But like even in design architecture, yeah. interior design, we see this minimalistic tiny house yeah. sort of trend happening. Yeah, so I'm going to say something controversial probably. Oh, okay. Please do. If you if you like the tiny houses, then you're unbiblical. Maybe. <laughs> and uh But probably not always because if it's right. all you can afford and you just need a place course. to live, then Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the purpose that God has placed us here mm-hmm. is to uh, build, cultivate, take care of earth. The job that God gave Adam was here's a garden. Mm-hmm. And if you read Genesis 2, you realize that the rest of the world did not look like the garden. We don't know mm-hmm. how big the garden was, probably pretty big. And it was beautiful and lush, but the rest of the world wasn't. And God said, go make the rest of the world look awesome. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the Bible, we see a huge garden city. The New Jerusalem is there. God's people are there with God. And it's built up into a garden city. Mm-hmm. And so we see a natural progression from garden to garden city in the Bible and that God God wants us to build big buildings. Mm-hmm. And he wants us to build beautiful things. Beauty is not neutral. Mm-hmm. Beauty is found in God, who is the most beautiful thing. And so a blank white wall, or like you said, like the, the more modern style is like square and a couple colors. Maybe. Or, you know what I mean? It's like, usually pretty primary. Right. And I believe that is not very Christian. It's kind of the antithesis of make something beautiful and ornate and, yeah. and make so when, it as good as it could be. Yeah. When Europe was very Christian, what did we get? We would got huge cathedrals that are crazy detailed. Mm-hmm. And that's because they had this idea that their buildings are meant for us to look up well, and, and behold God. And, and also it was going to be something that made it into the new Jerusalem. Yeah, it, w- it was built to last. And so a blank white wall is is not beautiful or as beautiful as a white wall with a picture on it and a flower and a this and as that. As the Sistine and... Chapel, like that, there's a difference? Right. Is that what you're saying? Like if you put the both in front of somebody... And said, which one's more beautiful? Which one? Well, would which you one say... requires more skill? Which one yeah, has been too. created to last and be beautiful and inspire and strike awe? And the and a lot of the chapels were actually built, cathedrals were mm-hmm. built to make you feel small and make yeah. you pull your eyes towards heaven. Exactly. Like you are not much, but look at this amazing God. Lift your head towards the Creator of all of this beauty. Yeah, but now. The modern, and I think this is because Christianity has largely been shoved out of Western mm-hmm. civilization. We want, you know, straight lines, only a couple colors. Things Ikea are, furniture that lasts yeah. for six months until your yeah. kids destroys it. Nothing's built to last. Buildings are not built out of marble mm-hmm. or anything like that anymore. Houses are not typically built, uh, you know, large and uh, grand. Yeah. Um, with a lot of detail. Oh, it's too expensive. Right. Or something. Well, and this idea that um, our creation is temporal is like something yeah. that is a new way of thinking in Christianity. It used to be traditionally 
that Christians understood that what we do, how we affect culture, the buildings we build, all of the good things that are done in Christ's name will make it into yeah. the eschaton. Is that what, yeah. how you could say that? Yeah, that's good. Okay. Yeah. And, and like, I think maybe some of it too is we're just focusing, we're very selfish. We're focusing on ourselves. Yeah. What can I enjoy in my lifetime? And then that's it. Because right. their atheistic belief is when I die, it's all poof gone anyway. Right. So I don't need to care about what my kids have and what my grandkids have and what people 200 years from now are mm-hmm. going to have. If I make sure that our city hall building is made of, you know, marble and stone that I know will last through hurricanes and tornadoes and it will yeah yeah. um it's just what will work for me right now and that's it because all i'm thinking about is myself Mm -hmm. yeah i a lot i mean architecture is one of those things that i I think people would think oh that's totally just it's neutral beauty is in the eye of the beholder yeah and i'm saying no i think there is beauty in the world it's obviously found um in god and then everything we make, we make as beautiful as possible to reflect him in Using the all most of life. skill, the most care, yeah, the most in- intentionality behind right. everything to the glory of God. Yeah, exactly. Because so we reflect him and his beauty and his complexities and yeah. and all of that should be a, a mirroring of... And, and so part of that for me, I love books, is having old books with great covers on them. And having a whole, you know, set of them on a shelf and that will last hundreds of years. And I have a couple books that are over over 100 years years old. Mm -hmm. And I love that I have those because they show lasting value, right? Mm -hmm. And I I don't want just everything on a cloud, which means someone else's computer, Mm -hmm. right? Or just everything digital, everything ebook. Well, and we're not saying that if you have furniture from Ikea in your home, you're in sin. Not because we do. Yeah. So. <laughs> and I do love Ikea. Yeah, the block bags are the best. Just saying. And everything we say, like, it's not, um, it's what to, it's what to aim at, right? There's a principle behind it. Right. If this idea of minimalism is something that you are particularly infatuated with, I would challenge you to read Plowing and Hope. Yes. I think that would be a very yep. interesting. Canimpress.com. Provoking book for you to read. It would be very helpful. Yeah. It's a little book. I know this changed some of our thoughts a little bit on this topic. It encouraged us a lot to. I mean, you and I both naturally love old, like antiques. We (laughs) love restoration projects. Right. So I I don't think that we are particularly tempted towards IKEA furniture. If given the option to have something 100 years old. Yeah. And as soon as I heard (laughs) that the condo girl was was telling people to go through every single book they have and decide whether you love it or not. I was like, first of all, I don't got that kind of time. Yes. Second of all, I yes, I love all of them. I already know I love all of them. Mm-hmm. All books. <laughs> so I'm not doing this. And I was like, I'm not going to listen to this girl. Yeah. So these are just some little nuggets, some little corners, some little facets where we see in Old Testament ignorance, mm-hmm. perhaps creeping into how Christians are viewing politics, how Christians are viewing cultural trends, social norms, social justice type things. Mm -hmm. Christians need to submit all of our thoughts, all of our actions, all of our political ideologies under the feet of Jesus, look to his wisdom in scripture where he has revealed himself and his just law to us and say, what does God say about this? What does God say about minimalism? What does God say about women's rights, about environmentalism, about whatever? 
Yeah. Remember, all of Christ for all of life and that the whole Bible applies to all of life. If you can't, off the top of your head, answer a stranger's question about environmentalism or about the death penalty, death sentence, about abortion, about gun control, liturgy, Mm -hmm. why do you take the bread of communion before you take the wine of communion. If you don't know these things, just read the Old Testament. Start there. Yeah. Just start reading through the narrative and ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom. Because I Christians need to have a reason for the hope that lies within us. Yeah. If we continue to stay lazy, we're going to keep losing. Doing Because they're not lazy. Doing the Word of the Day app on your phone is mm-hmm. not sufficient for Christians. No. No, it's not. So... So I hope that was helpful. I hope we are helpful. It's been very, <laughs> it's been helpful for us to go back. Yeah, it's and true. It, it's like, when was the last time you read First Kings? I don't know. Yeah. But whenever it was that I last read it, I have forgotten a lot. So it's good for me to go back and yeah. reread it. And I would just encourage our listeners, like, go back and read some of those stories. There's so mm-hmm. much wisdom and there's so much gold to be plundered from those verses. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, thank you for listening. We hope this was beneficial and helpful and that you enjoyed it. Again, go to rebelliancemedia.com to check out the rest of our network's content. And come back next week for our fun little crossover event. It's going to be super awesome. (laughs) All right. We pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And until next time, get woke. Let's start with the microphone check. One, two, first. Water to the dry and weary soul of the true church. The kind of things that few search. They say that the truth hurts. Well, this pain is gained, so let's explain the new birth. First things first, can't neglect this at the start. I must preface my remarks with the deadness of the heart from original sin. The effects of the fall. The sin of our first parents brought death to us all. Since Adam was our federal head, what he did counted for us. In him were all rebels and dead. Yo, captured in the mind, disaster, sin and crimes in a Dark state, Alaska in the winter time, sour in our frames. Left to ourselves, we be devoured in the flames. Cause we're powerless to change. If you feel that way, I pray that you respond happily. As you see what Jesus had to say in John chapter 3.